This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. If someone out there is really hesitating by saying, yeah, I don't really see any financial advantage of getting married, they might be right, but they're probably in the minority. Most of us, there is a significant financial advantage to getting married, as long as you're sure it's the right person. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two different things. First, we're going to be having a discussion with Jesse Kramer from Cobblestone Capital Advisors on the financial pros and cons of marriage. Second, we're back with our Work From Anywhere segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Danny J. This is a full-time YouTuber and YouTube coach. She's going to share how she makes six figures plus on YouTube and how you can too while working from anywhere. All right, let's jump into today's show. Marriage is a big decision, my friends, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. And with any big decision, it's important to weigh the pros and cons. So what are the financial pros and cons of marriage? Big questions like this are always better with really smart friends. So I thought I'd answer this one with Jesse Kramer. Jesse is an engineer by training, a writer by passion, and he works professionally for a fiduciary financial planning and wealth management firm, Cobblestone Capital Advisors. Jesse is also the voice behind the Best Interest blog and podcast, which was nominated by Plutus in 2022 as the Personal Finance Blog of the Year. When Jesse isn't supporting families with financial advice, he's spending time with his new wife, Kelly, in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Andy, thank you for having me on. That was a great introduction. I might have to copy that down actually for future, you know, biographies. That was perfect. Anytime, man. Anytime. Absolutely. I'm happy to introduce you. You're doing some great things out there and helping people out. So I'm happy to have you on the show and talk about this important topic. Also a very relevant topic for you as a newly married man. So let's answer this question. What are some of the major financial pros of marriage? Great question. I've got a little list here. We'll work our way through it. Some of them are officially recognized by the IRS, and some of them are just things that you can do as a married couple on the side on your own. So we'll kind of just go through a bullet list, and then maybe we can expand if you'd like. Usually, married couples pay lower taxes. Not always, but usually. You can gift assets to one another without penalty, which for some married couples is an important pro. You might get Roth contribution advantages. That has, usually has to do with if, if one spouse it earns too much to make Roth contributions and the other spouse doesn't, there's a chance that their combined income might allow them both to make Roth contributions. And then you get into some of the, the budgeting stuff, sharing bills, economies of scale on things like rent or mortgage or utilities, or where there once were two bills, now there might only be one bill. Insurance, similar benefits to insurance. It's almost always cheaper to, to buy those benefits together. Kelly and I, for example, we save about $300 a month on health insurance by getting married and combining that health insurance. On the, on the tail end, when you're retiring, there are social security benefits for, for one of the two partners in marriage because if the higher earning social security partner happens to die first, their living spouse inherits that higher social security payment. And then a simple budgeting one, just combining credit 
or combining incomes when making big purchases, like something like a house. So that's my list, Andy. That's a good list. And I'm thinking personally, guys, just about my marriage with Nicole. I always like to talk about net worth and like growing our net worth and things like that, or just the sheer statement of saying, oh, I'm a millionaire, but I would not be a billionaire if it wasn't for my wife, Nicole, and the combined efforts that we both had financially, emotionally, parentally around all the things that we've been doing. So my wealth is, her wealth is our wealth. So absolutely combining our powers together has been fantastic over the past 13 years of our marriage. So I always like to point that out, but I always like looking at both sides of the story. So let's talk about the cons, the financial cons of marriage that maybe people don't talk about a lot, especially marriage positive dudes like me, because I don't really go off on the cons. So let's dive in. It's good to look at both sides. I think most of the cons that I'm aware of tend to be behavioral in nature. And it's something like you know, inheriting, for lack of a better term, inheriting your partner's bad habits or inheriting your partner's, you know, negative past, meaning like, like debt, you know, if it's not that when you get married that you officially take on your partner's debt, but now all of a sudden you're going to help them pay off their debt. Assuming that you're loving married partners, a lot of people choose that path that you're going to help your partner pay off the debt. And that's going to cost you. That's going to be a new negative in your financial life. Overspending, overspending and budgeting. You might be a very frugal person. If your partner isn't, that is going to have a net effect, a net negative effect on your side of the finances. Another big one is simply now answering to someone else. When you're single, you literally, you only have to answer to yourself. Your own, your own bad choices you answer for, your own good choices you get to relish in those when you're married to someone else, there's a, a lot of times financially and otherwise, as we know, where you have some responsibility in, in tackling your partner's problems, financial or otherwise. So that, that's a net negative. And then the last one, it's, it's a downer, but divorce is really expensive. And divorce only happens after marriage. And it's just so something you really want to be sure about getting into, into marriage. It's, it's not only this bond of love, but it's also a bond legally and it's a bond financially. Separating those bonds is painful emotionally. It's also painful for your wallet. These are really good things to point out and good things that people, as maybe as they're listening right now, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's true. I do love my spouse, but yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about just, I'll be, uh, you know, a little self-deprecation here. I feel like since I enjoy talking about money, sometimes I can get probably a little controlling of the money too. And I, and I know that's probably something I know that I grab onto maybe as a man or just generally, in general, somebody who's interested in the money. And with that, maybe I can become slightly more selfish. And so what I have to do to push myself to be less selfish is to make sure that I'm meeting with my wife on a weekly basis to go over those numbers. Even though she doesn't care about hearing about the numbers, I want her buy-in and I want her collaboration to make sure that this plan that we're talking about is equitable and fair in our relationship. And she sees that as well. My version of equitable and fair might be different from her vision of equitable and fair. So let's talk about decreasing those cons and the importance of maybe communicating like this. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, Andy, you know, you, you sent me a couple questions to think about beforehand. And one of your questions was, right, ways to decrease these cons before marriage or during marriage. And the answer I wrote out is talk, 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 plan, plan, plan. That's really where it starts. And, and hearing your story about, about meeting every week and, and, and going over those finances, that is both the talking and the planning. 
it's so invaluable because outside of those options, talking and planning, what would you do? Strong arm your spouse into changing their behavior? Yell at them for spending too much? I mean, like you, you get to a point where you say, there's not much you can do except talk about this stuff, plan, slowly over time, start to adjust or get used to one another's behaviors, cut each other some slack, those kind of things. But it really comes down to open communication, by far the number one most important thing. I think without that communication or I guess without the collaboration, things like financial infidelity can make their way into the relationship, financial abuse, or just, I guess, dishonesty in general. So having those times set up can be that cornerstone for your relationship, that building block for your relationship on trust, honesty, and transparency. We talked a little bit about divorce because some of these things could lead to divorce. What are your thoughts on a prenup when it comes to getting married? Do you feel like this is something that married couples or engaged and dating couples should consider before tying the knot? Personally, I mean, I can tell you that we did not sign a prenup, but part of the reason why is because Kelly and I we have similar current states of our finances, like, you know, relatively similar net worth, relatively similar salaries, relatively similar long-term prospects. There's not much difference between us. You know, a, a prenup is essentially some sort of agreement that says, because of these large differences between spouses, or because of the potential large differences in the future, we're going to set some expectations before marriage of what might happen if we split up. And, and it's important to kind of talk about what those disparities, what those differences might be. If one spouse is already wealthy and the other one is not. If one spouse is super indebted and the other one's not. If one spouse is likely to miss out on the workforce for a long period of time, which is kind of an interesting one because essentially what that's saying is if one spouse is planning on being, say, a stay-at-home mom for a large duration of the marriage, that mom, she's going to be missing out on a lot of years on the workforce and a lot of years in salary. And that puts her at a financial disadvantage to her husband, whose career is still, you know, progressing. He's earning more and more every year. She put her career on pause to raise the kids. That might introduce a financial disparity at some point in the marriage and might be worth thinking about some sort of prenup for. A large inheritance could be another one if, you know, one spouse is expecting a large inheritance. If one spouse has previous children or had previous divorces, that might be worth something thinking about. Now, I'm not a lawyer. As far as I know, Andy, you're not a lawyer either. So this is the kind of thing that you'd want to discuss with a, a family lawyer, a divorce attorney, someone who practices some form of family law. But those are the kind of questions when one spouse has a large disparity over the other that typically trigger a prenup. I think that is a great point. And I really like your point on the stay-at-home mom plan because a lot of the times that can be a point and period of time where there's no income coming in, but the contribution, I know from our standpoint, because my wife stayed at home for you know five, seven years, contribution was much higher on her side than it was with my work that I was doing as I was bringing in the money. The contribution to raise two small children is... <laughs> During that period of time, I would take like, hey, you want to go on a girlfriend's trip or something like that. I would stay at home with the kids for four or five days. And my lack of practice on the realities of what it takes to raise children was eye-opening. I'll just tell you, Jesse. So I would just say that having that ability to create some sort of fairness and equity in the relationship, setting that up ahead of time 
is probably a really smart way to go. So let's talk about ways that maybe you are building that trust and transparency and honesty in your new relationship as a as a new husband. What things do you and Kelly do that kind of bring that bond so you guys can keep this thing going for decades and decades to come and maybe avoiding that seven-year itch like some couples do? Well, it's, it's fun. It's a funny question. Right now, Kelly is in business school. She's finishing next month, one month away. And the combination of kind of my career change, Kelly being in business school, we're transitioning from a small starter home to hopefully our forever home. Our lives have been so busy, especially over, say, the last six months, that it's funny. It's, it has been hard to, uh, hard to find time for that regular communication. That said, even when we are a bit overwhelmed, we always try to spend some quality time together, especially on the weekends. Just, you know, some one-on-one, whether it's like date time or just relaxing time to have some of these important conversations that we're talking about today. Or even something, we have dogs, we foster dogs as well. But something like a 30-minute dog walk, leaving the phone and the headphones at home, it's just us and the dog and nature. And it's a perfect time to start talking about some of these important conversations that that we're talking about here. Forget about the, the daily the, the notifications on the phone and the, and the computer and the email and just talk about this life planning type topic. I think that's great. And, you know, even if we don't, let's say we don't meet every week or every month or whatever your scheduled plan is, we at least have it up here in our brains that it's just like taking care of your health. Okay, maybe I don't exercise every day like I should, but I know that I should be. So it's sort of the same thing with your marriage. You got to exercise <laughs> the communication in your marriage and at least make that plan to come back to it if you have gone away from it for a while so that you can keep this great marriage going. So Jesse, there's somebody listening right now and they are considering marriage. They're engaged or they're young or they're figuring it out and they're thinking, well, you know what? Financially, I don't think marriage is worth it. I think that maybe I'm just going to pass and just kind of control my own life and maybe I'll just date somebody. What would you say to that person? I would say that the the financial advantages of marriage are definitely real. I mean, no doubt about it, right? And I think if you really want to get down to brass tacks, countries have have an incentive to have more children. And I really mean that, you know, as a country, as a nation, we need more children to keep our economy running and to ensure that our country moves along. And the way that Congress stimulates that or the way that Congress incents having children is by providing financial advantages to married couples, by providing financial advantages to eventually having children. So if someone out there is really hesitating by saying, yeah, I don't really see any financial advantage of getting married, they might be right but they're probably in the minority. Most of us, there is a significant financial advantage to getting married, as long as you're sure it's the right person. In order to have that assurance, if you are worried, a prenup can be a great idea. That way you're going into it with your ducks in a row, with the agreements that you had together as a couple. And if it doesn't work out, like sometimes 40 to 50% of marriages you guys have a plan, at least. So I I like the prenup. It's funny enough for me to say I like the prenup because I also didn't get a prenup too, Jesse. With my wife and I, we got together. We both had nothing and we got together and grew what we have together. So everything that is ours is now ours together. So Jesse, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you jumping on and having it with me. Talk to us about the best interest and where people can connect with you and what it's all about. I'll I'll do my best. I'll keep it short and sweet. So The Best Interest is a a website I started a little over four years ago when I was still working as a mechanical engineer. I was the guy at work who was kind of the personal finance nerd, helping people out with their 401k decisions. And they encouraged me to start writing, which I did. And it's been amazing. It's been this amazing thing. So 
I write usually a couple articles a week. I publish a podcast every other week. The address is bestinterest.blog. And the, my usual form of communication with my readers, there's about 6,600 weekly subscribers, is I send out a really quick weekly email that has my new content and also the best personal finance content that I found around the internet that week. So we're now about 250 plus articles in, a little over 50 podcast episodes in, and I still love getting feedback on on good writing, clear explanations, helpful advice, and it's, it's such a great thing. And, and it kind of led me to this big career change and it led me to you, Andy. So I have so much to be thankful for about how the best interest has evolved over the years. Well, awesome, man. Well, I, I wish you the best with your growth. And I know that I've heard this statistic and you know, the thing about statistic is that 90% of them are all made up. But if you make it past the 50 mark on your episodes, I think it's something like 90% of shows don't do that. Again, I, I'm making up statistics, but I've heard something like that. What I'm saying is good for you and keep it going and keep helping people as you are. Everybody, the best thing to do right now to check out Jesse's work since you're listening to this podcast is just type in best interest on your favorite podcast player. Check it out and support Jesse on his growth. Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. This is great. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. 
More and more people want the flexibility to earn money outside of a traditional office setting. If you're interested in part-time money, side hustles, or full-time work, the number of opportunities to work from anywhere is growing. On our Work From Anywhere segment today, we're going to interview Danny J. Danny is a YouTube coach that helps budding and established entrepreneurs learn how to overcome mindset blocks, show up confidently, and create YouTube content to build their community and effortlessly attract their dream clients. Today, we're going to discuss how people can make money on YouTube and the steps you can take to increase your work from anywhere income. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks, Andy. I'm so excited to be here and talk about all things YouTube. Absolutely. Well, I've been enjoying YouTube over the past few years and I'm starting to make money from it. So I thought it could be fun to have you on and kind of dispel some myths and talk to people about YouTube and how to grow things. So let's talk about your origin story. What was your motivation for getting started as a YouTuber? Sure. So my main motivation with YouTube was for sure to be able to build a life of freedom through making passive income. And I used to be an online English teacher and it was an awesome gig. It's sort of gone away in the last couple of years with China changing some, some policies, but essentially you could teach English online to kids in China from anywhere in the world. So I was living my best digital nomad life, teaching English online. And I saw these YouTubers who were also teachers sharing about teaching English online and making a killing. They had affiliate links, they had referral links, they had sometimes their own coaching programs. And I was like, wow, these people are, have built something so special, but there's a lot of people doing it. There's no room for me. But there was, but I let that limiting belief stop me. And for a couple of years, I just didn't do it. And then I found this new company and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to start scared, create a YouTube channel. And within a little less than two years, that channel actually retired me from online English teaching. I didn't need to teach English online. I just taught because I wanted to, not because I had to. I remember I had 4,000 YouTube subscribers and making $4,000 passively that month from my channel, which equated for my ESL English teaching to like 200 hours of work and and thinking, oh, I've cracked the code, I've done it. And so I've not looked back since. And, and I've started teaching what I've learned of how to build out that system to other teachers. And then eventually now I just work with entrepreneurs in, in building their channels as well. Let's dive into some of that $4,000. Like, how are you making money doing that? Yes, that's such a good question. What I love about YouTube is there's multiple ways that you should be making money and you want to put your eggs in different baskets on YouTube because you can. So a a big misconception that I hear a lot is that you want to build a channel for YouTube ad revenue. You don't. If you're monetized now, you realize like in the beginning, it's maybe 50 bucks or 20 bucks, and then it can go up to thousands, but it takes a lot of time. But that's one way is YouTube ad revenue. You can make a little bit of money, but a big thing is affiliate marketing. So if you in your niche have products that you recommend or you compare two products, actually just last month, I made about $5,000 from two videos that I made a year ago on Kajabi and passively that brought me a $5,000 and I don't do anything from it, but these are, so these are like affiliate links that you use. So that's another way that you want to be building up your YouTube channels, recommending products and then referral links. Sometimes even companies like for, for my case with English companies would pay me to share about them. You can also then, especially even if you have a small channel, if you have a niche community of something specific, companies will pay you to do reviews of them. So sponsored videos is another way I made money from my channel pretty early on than your own program. So I always like to say, so there's lots of other ways you can make money on YouTube from these other avenues, but you always want to be 
if you have your own offer, bringing people into that first and foremost. So building out your own email list, getting your own clients from it, whether it's like a Pilates channel or like me for, for my YouTube coaching, whatever that may be, it's a great place to be seen as a thought leader and get people to want to invest in you. Got it. Yeah. I mean, breaking it down, diversifying. We love talking about diversification on this show and all sorts of life can make it a lot easier. Now, so are you doing this full time now? Are you a full time YouTuber? Yep. So I am YouTube full time. And even when I had a a smaller channel, I was pretty much just YouTube full time. And I taught maybe like just a couple hours a week English, but really only just to say relevant YouTube has been my main bread and butter for the past for sure three years. That's incredible. And so could you give us a range of like how much money you need to live and how much income that is supporting you with now, just so people can understand if they dedicated full time where they could go? So from my channel on a monthly basis, I'd say like I make anywhere from maybe five to 8,000 in affiliate links, five to 10,000 from clients, three to five from sponsored videos, three to 5,000 from sponsored videos. And so how much I want to make If I did every video being sponsored, I could make a lot more than that. But I try to limit those just because I want my content to be authentic. And then usually for ad revenue, like anywhere from 500 to 1000 bucks. So that's that's at least. So you're making over $10,000 a month being a YouTuber. That's very cool. So $120,000 a year plus being a YouTuber. And it sounds like you've been able to have some changes in your life because of this. What has it allowed for you to do? I mean, we're talking about the work from anywhere segment. Tell us about your life and how being able to work from anywhere changes it. Oh my gosh, it has been, I feel so blessed because my goal was always, I've loved to live overseas. So I lived overseas in Vietnam for like three years. I've traveled all over Southeast Asia. And my big thing is I've always loved travel, but I've wanted to be back with family and spend quality time with my family whenever I wanted to. And so that's been really my reality through YouTube is I can go and I can stay at my sister's place and see my nephews, my brother-in-law and like film videos in their kitchen. But yeah, it's just being able to, I've been able to travel. I've been able to meet so many amazing creators and make a lot of friends too from my channel as well. That's also been life-changing. I've had like when things have happened in my life, having people that I don't even know, like praying for me. It's just, it's a really, really cool thing. So the life of freedom that YouTube brings, it, it doesn't bring it right away though. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? You have to invest time in it to see those results happen. But once you do, my gosh, you know, I've been able to travel all over the world. I took off almost a full week last week. It's the best. I would highly recommend it. Did you start in like a corporate job or anything like that? Or did you go full with the online English learning? I knew when I graduated from college, I said, I will never work a corporate job. I did an internship my senior year and I said, this is the worst. I won't, <laughs> won't do it. And I, my best friend and I saved up $10,000. I worked some bartending gigs and then we said, we're going to start our own international travel company. So I actually started a travel company in Vietnam. We had no clue what we were doing. We had no business starting any sort of travel business like that, but we did. And we had tours of women, but because we had no clue how to run a business and we needed money coming in, that's how we started teaching English online. And then that's how I found the YouTube. And my life has sort of all been just kind of a bunch of crazy, crazy events all mushed into one. And now I'm a YouTuber. So here we are. Good for you. I I like how you made that decision early on in life saying it was almost the exposure for the internship saying, no, thank you. I don't want that. Right. Well, now with the internet, I think I just saw there's, there's so much opportunity. And if you're willing to put the time in, there's a course online for literally everything. You can teach yourself how to do anything. And often I think better than a professor who doesn't have experience, right? You can pay the best person who's been, uh, anyway. So, so yeah, it's been, 
it's been a really cool experience. I love that. Let, let's transition from your story to some of these people you've been helping now to build their online business and the freedom that they've had from it. Let's talk specifically about the questions that I have. Is YouTubing best for, now that you've coached a lot of these people, is it best for somebody who has an established business that wants to get more clients? Or is it best for somebody who just wants to experiment with something and then figure out what they want to be? Or somewhere in the middle, I, I guess. Talk to us about that. So I would say... I prefer to work with clients where you have an established business or an idea of the business that you want to be building. I think it can be really hard if you come to YouTube, but just like, I want it to be something where I just share my inner feelings. Awesome. Then it's a passion project. It's not a, it's not going to be a side hustle or a full-time job, right? I always say it, when you build a channel, you see it like a part-time job and a non-negotiable. And so it, it helps to then have an established business already. I think for that, because you're already committed to showing up for your business. Or if you're starting a business, having at least the niche, the community picked out, then it's great to start a channel as well. But if you don't have a business, I still think it's great, but you need the idea in general, I think is very helpful to then stick with it. I think that's a really good point. Sort of diving into it and saying, I'm just going to share who I am and I'll be massively successful and make a ton of money. That's probably a recipe for 99.9% of people do not make money, right? Exactly. You have to think of it like on YouTube, you will win. I always tell you'll win on YouTube if you always treat your viewer the way that you want to be treated and you show up for them, not for yourself. So you say, what is my ideal viewer struggling with that they need help with and how do I best help them in my own special way, right? That's unique to other people in my niche. And if you can see YouTube like that and then stay consistent, you will almost always win. Got it. Well, give me some examples of maybe a coaching client you've had and how that's worked out for them. Maybe one with an established business and how things have gone for them. Maybe an example for us. Two examples that I was just actually talking about this morning. I have a client, Rachel, who had a, she she does Pilates and she's a Pilates coach. And she came to me with her, she already started her channel, started her channel, but she had maybe around I think like 700 subscribers. And now this last month, I think she's had 20,000 subscribers to her channel in, in the last 30 days. And the big thing for her was when she first started showing up, Pilates is a massive niche. So she thought, you know, how would I ever stand out? I've got loads of competition. And she was looking every day at the competition. I think this is a very common practice of new YouTubers. You're looking all the time at the competition. And so she's she started mimicking the competition. The easiest way to not grow on YouTube is to mimic because you're not bringing anything new to the table. And so when she joined my my YouTube program, the Magnetic Creator Academy, we teach how to really bring your unique self to the table in a way that's also search engine optimized. And so by doing those two things, yeah, she's really allowed her channel to explode. And now she's got even more subscribers than me. It's awesome. That's my goal for all my clients. I'm like, I want you to just like overtake my channel way faster and grow faster than I have. But that's been really neat for her. And, And the big thing too is, is now there's nobody quite like her on YouTube because she's shown up in her own unique way, which she wasn't doing before. So even that little shift and then knowing search engine optimization, it it allows for that explosive growth. With that, obviously, subscriber growth is fantastic. Does that mean more personal clients for her with her Pilates business? Does this mean affiliate revenue? I'm trying to get back to the money thing earlier. Like, How is this helping her with her business growth? By doing that, not only now is she seen as a thought leader in the Pilates 
reformer world. But yes, it gets people then to want to sign up for her course, to want to sign up to work with her and do consultations with her. So it has been great for business. But but on the flip side of that too, having I have another client who her first video has maybe less than 100 subscribers, got her first client and almost, you know, made her money back investing with me. And so that's really my goal is, yeah, the subscribers are great. And being seen as that thought leader is always going to be like, you know, you can't put a price on that to be able to be seen that in your niche because people are going to want to invest in you more and more when when they are looking for thought leaders in your niche. But but I think the big thing is, yeah, does it convert to clients? And we've seen that even for tiny channels, even for myself, when I had a small channel is having people then use your links or sign up to work with you. I think that's fantastic. I think these are really good examples. You don't need to have 20,000 subscribers in order to make more money. If you just have impactful content to put yourself out there as a thought leader in that area, you can gain more clients for your small business, for your online business. And uh, like Danny, make money from anywhere. I love it. (laughs) Danny, I understand you have a course that helps people with this process. Tell us a little bit more about it. My YouTube course is called the Magnetic Creator Academy, and I teach people exactly sort of what we're talking about today, how to show up and feel comfortable on camera, and then create a YouTube channel that's a funnel into your business, right, where you show up for your ideal client when they type in those search phrases on YouTube, how does your video show up? And then how do you get that person to then go from watching the video to wanting to work with you or wanting to use that affiliate link? And so these are the the things we take people through in a five-month program where you're able to create a system to see YouTube as that part-time job that's going to work for you, where you have videos that are a year old or five years old that are still converting for you into affiliate sales or new clients every single month. I love that, Danny. And, and this is going to be very meta, everybody, because I am a YouTuber and I am making money on these four different ways that Danny is talking about here. And what I'm going to do right now is practice one of those ways in sharing an affiliate link with you, how to access Danny's course. So if you guys go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube course, that's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube course, you can check out Danny's material and subsequently support this channel if you are enjoying it, the Marriage, Kids, and Money experience. Because what I what I want to do with my channel, like your examples that you're doing, are give options to parents who want to work from anywhere. Maybe they've got kids and they want to be able to work at home, or maybe they hate their toxic job and they want to move out of it at the corporate life that you got away from right away. Having those options can help a lot. So, and Danny's point here, I'm offering this affiliate link, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube course as a way to grow my YouTube channel, grow my business, but also support the great work that Danny's doing and help you all have that work from anywhere lifestyle. Danny, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Would love to have any Marriage, Kids, and Money members into MCA. Would love to have you. And yeah, we start this end of this month. So I don't know when this is, this is coming out. But yeah, we start end of July and would love to have you on the inside. Thank you so much, Danny. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or sharing it on social media. The best way for more people to find and consider this show is from recommendations from people who listen to it, who enjoy it, and who apply its action-oriented advice. So please text a friend with this episode or another one of your favorites and let them know why you like it and why they should check out the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast or share it on social media. Even better, 
Be sure to tag your friend Andy at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. I really appreciate your support in growing this message of family, wealth, and happiness. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from John Gottman. Make dedicated, non-negotiable time for each other a priority and never stop being curious about your partner. Give your relationship the time and attention it needs to thrive, everyone. Carpe diem. 